When you move along the path of your destiny, whatever the vehicle of travel, how well do you see what's to come? Do you walk with blinders, able to know only where your next footfall will tread? Or do you look off into the distance and see the road in all its splendor stretched out to infinity? My name is Chris Aiken, and this is 10 Minute Workday Zen. This is the final episode of Season 1, and the last part of the season finale story of Siddhartha Gautama. In Part 1, we saw Siddhartha born, learned of the prophecy that he would be either a great king or a great priest, and finally heard his father's plan to push Siddhartha on the path towards kingship. In Part 2, we saw the young man awaken to the suffering in life by seeing age, disease, and death. To finish our tale, we'll follow Siddhartha through his slow, steady progress towards enlightenment, as he learns many lessons from the wisest people of the age. We'll be telling this tale from the perspective of Ganesha, the Hindu god of wisdom and knowledge. Ganesha is a symbol of both Atman, the human soul, and Maya, the earthly existence of humans. So he's the perfect voice to follow Siddhartha in his path towards enlightenment. This part is titled, Blooming Lotus. I am Ganesha. You know me because you know what it is to be alive. You know of your soul, yes? Excellent. And you know of your body, the earth, and the things surrounding you? Most excellent indeed. You are my child, son or daughter of man, though you do not always know it. Today, I wish only to share a story of another child of your kind. One who came to wisdom with very little help of mine, might I add. You are truly amazing creatures, if I do say so myself. But I digress, as I am wont to do, and time for you is short compared to how I see time. Let me show you a man. You see, there are two men leaving a large estate. One is a well-fed, beloved prince, and the other is his friend and servant. They ride under the cover of night, the hoofbeats of their horses dulled on the flagstone walkways. I admit, I may have helped with that, but I assure you it would not have changed anything if a thousand troops stood in Siddhartha's path. You see, for the first time in his life, this poor man had finally come to know what suffering truly is. You can only learn so much from the stubbed toes and scrapes of childhood, after all, and Sududana had done a wondrous thing by keeping his son from anything worse. Wondrous, if a bit foolish in the long term. Siddhartha rides for four days and nights, his mind awash in worry, confusion, and, more importantly, awakened with an inner fire. You humans often give too much credit to the god or gods of your people for lighting the holy fire in you. Oh, it's true that we do so from time to time, some gods more than others, but so much human accomplishment is uniquely your own. Usually we just stop the universe from imploding to let you get on with it. The young prince's journey finally ended at the outskirts of a town, though it had no name to speak of. It was small and unique only for the fact that it lay equidistant between the hermetic homes of two rather skilled yogis. To the north lived Alara Kalam. Siddhartha sought him first since he was the first name to be heard by the people in the village. Alara was knowledgeable in an early form of Samkhya, and skilled in meditation. He taught Siddhartha how to view the world through a rational and calm mind. There are only three ways to know. First, you may know by perceiving things yourself. In this case, your eyes have proven it. Second, you may know by knowing something else that leads to the knowing. In this manner, you know by inferring based on knowledge already possessed. Lastly, you may know by the account of another who has perceived or inferred. In this case, you trust the perception of another as though it were your own. In this way, you may come to know all things and need nothing else. 
For two years, Siddhartha learned from and meditated with Alara. He came to know the technique for emptying oneself into meditation so thoroughly that Alara declared his training complete. The yogi had nothing more to teach Siddhartha, and asked that he stay with him to pass on his teaching to more students. The prince, not having found the enlightenment he sought, declined and moved on. Traveling back to the village he had arrived at two years prior, the prince turned hermit heard another name that was spoken of with respect for his wisdom, Udaka Ramabuddha. Siddhartha traveled east to find him. Udaka was known for teaching meditations on the immaterial attainments. Where Alara had taught the prince how to meditate on his own consciousness and the world, Udaka would teach him how to meditate above these things. In your first year, Siddhartha, you have mastered the base attainment of boundless space. You have recognized that all objects are actually one object. In your second year, you have realized the attainment of boundless consciousness. You were able to see that all thoughts stem from one thought, that all consciousnesses are really the same. In your third year, you, former prince, have come to the base of nothingness. You have felt the truth that if all things and places and thoughts are really one, then nothing divides anything and nothingness is reality. And now in your last year, Siddhartha, you have gained the base of neither perceiving nor failing to perceive. Once you have known that all things are the same and nothing, you are able to perceive them all as they are and thus perception is no longer necessary. Udaka had never taught a student so gifted. He wished for Siddhartha to remain with him and teach his students the path to the immaterial attainments. Siddhartha, still feeling that he did not understand, declined and left to seek enlightenment. The prince could not find what he saw from the great teachers and so he set out to learn from the world itself. He had come to know that both nothingness and existence were the truth, but he could not piece together how these truths came to be one. To find this answer, he used the lessons from his prior masters and devoted himself completely to the practice of extreme asceticism. If nothing is the truth, and existence is the truth, then I will live my life as close to nothing as I can, he thought. Accompanied by five others who had been impressed with his mastery of the meditations of both Alara and Udaka, Siddhartha took his worldly austerity to new levels. Over many months, he eschewed all goods, all possessions, and slowly began to eat less and less. Eventually, he came to be able to subsist only on the taste of a single leaf or a single nut every day, focusing all his energy on finding new levels of meditative consciousness. One day, in a rare break from his meditations, Siddhartha was bathing in a river. His body had weakened so much from not eating that he collapsed. A small girl found him, and such was the state of his body that she was able to pull him from the river very easily. She offered him a bowl of milk and rice pudding. For the first time in weeks, Siddhartha ate a full meal and felt the energy of life return to his body. I cannot be enlightened if I am dead, he realized. The path of indulgence he took with his father had not brought him to enlightenment, nor had the path of austerity shown him how the truths of the universe align. He decided that another path must exist. Seating himself beneath the Bodhi tree, what you may call a fig tree, Siddhartha vowed to meditate until he could find the answer. His companions could not understand his choice, declared him undisciplined, and left him to sit underneath of his tree. I watched Siddhartha for all of the 49 days he sat below the fig tree and meditated. The girl who had saved his life came every few days to give him milk and rice pudding so that he might not worry for collapsing again. It was always just enough food to leave him strong enough to seek answers. And so he sat. And so he thought. 
Rains came and went. Sun came and went. Night and day blurred, but Siddhartha was the one constant in that world. On the 49th day, Siddhartha opened his eyes and smiled. I was actually sitting across from him, playing with the wind and listening to distant conversations. After so many millennia of life, it's still a joy to be surprised. As Siddhartha smiled, he looked directly into my eyes. You see, few mortals can perceive us unless we wish it. Oh, so there you are. <laughs> and so here I am. Do you know me now, son of man? Do you know what this world is? No, but I have seen the path to knowing, and that is enough. I have seen the footsteps in the sand as you walk through time, and I think I know how to follow them. Well answered. What is your name then, man who sees the path? I was named Siddhartha, though I suspect you know this already. Why do you ask? Is it not clear, man who was once a prince? You have emerged from thought, seen a new world, and become a human entirely different from who you once were. I feel this as well. Should a man be given a new name once he has seen the path through the middle of the universe? Hmm. I think so. But then that is only my opinion, and so maybe I am incorrect. But supposing I am correct, I would name you Gautama Buddha, as you are the first of your family to be enlightened in this way. I accept. Thank you. I suspect as well we will likely not meet again in this way. No, but it was true pleasure to make your acquaintance Gautama Buddha. And with that, I faded from the world and left Siddhartha, now Buddha, to spread his message of moderate and conscious living to the other sons and daughters of man. I hear whispers in the air that Buddha saw several gods that day, that Mara appeared to test his commitment with demons and images and prideful boasts, and that Brahma himself convinced him to take on disciples and spread his new enlightenment to others. If they did, I did not see them, but that is not such a surprise. Our existences don't always align like the ones you mortals know. What I do know is this. Buddha left from beneath his fig tree a new man, with new wisdom, and a new path. And he would leave the world forever changed. And that's it, listeners. This brings us to the end of Season 1. Season 2 of 10 Minute Workday Zen will start on July 1st, 2016. This podcast was produced by Aiken Entertainment. All music is from bensound.com, and all rights are reserved. Have a fantastic day.